What's up, guys? I want to bring you a special podcast episode today. We're going to talk about the Miami Hurricanes football program, the U, and 25-year run they had in the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s, and what made them great. In my opinion, it's not what the average person thinks. The average person, what they think what makes Miami great was because of their God-given talent and because of the swagger they had. And as I talk about in this episode, I think with some other stuff that made it great, and we can apply this same stuff to our lives, our team, our families, our community. Hope you enjoy it. Here it is. What's up, guys? Jack here. Super juiced about the episode today. We're going to keep the Florida football theme rolling We're going to talk about the dynasty that was the U, the Miami Hurricanes, 80s, 90s, kind of stretched into the early 2000s a little bit. And we're doing this as kind of a continuous theme on Florida football based off the episode I just put up a few days ago on Muck City, the book Brian Mueller wrote about the Bell Central Raiders, one of the top high school football programs in the country, Bell Glades, Florida. And it was just an incredible, incredible story. The book's great. I really enjoyed the interview with Brian. I hope you did as well. And as he talked about, you know, it's the marketing really kind of cornered him in terms of how they promoted that book because they promoted it like it was a football book when it was really a story about poverty, a story about resilience, and a story about young men overcoming trauma to to accomplish something great. And it's something that I really resonated with, with what I'm doing at Castlemont High School in East Oakland, where, yes, you know, wins on Friday nights are important. Yes, football is important. Yes, I love what I'm doing in terms of of training and getting them faster and getting them more explosive. But end of day, just like at Bell Glades, what I'm trying to do is we're trying to help these young men overcome trauma and come together and accomplish something important. So this one's going to be a little bit wider. You know, we're going to we're going to talk about the U based off a book by Bruce Feldman called Kane Mutiny. And in the 80s and 90s, uh, the U was rolling. They they won five national championships. They were in the top 5 almost every year and they were getting a lot of guys from from Bell Central and Pahokee and couple other high schools in that area and I just I really find Miami's program when it was rolling to be I just find it really interesting you know it was they had they had a completely different level of of swagger than everyone else they played against but at the same time after reading this book and you know and interviewing people who were involved with that program they also had a completely different level of compassion and empathy for one another as a teammates and as a program and just the connectedness that they felt to that tribe, to that brand, to the U was, you know, I feel like what really separated them and made them so great. So without any more talk, let's do some, let's get into it. All right, we're going to talk on it. We're going to start here with the quote. It's the thing, even more than sheer talent, that has separated Miami from everyone else. 
explains UM defensive coordinator Randy Shannon, a former star linebacker for the Canes in the mid-80s. Shannon, of course, went on to coach at the U. If it's me and you're playing the same position and I'm the older guy and you've got talent, I'm going to teach you what I know so you can try and beat me out, Shannon said. I want you to take my position because if you take it, we'll be a better team. And if not, when I leave, you'll be smart enough to get it done. That's what a cane thing means. No matter what happens, I want the best players on the field. It ain't an ego thing or about I'm this or I'm that. End quote. And how rare is that? That you have a guy coming in to take your spot, whether it's on the football field or whatever it is that you do, and you do everything you can to empower him to try and take your spot. And it makes sense, right? Because that forces you to be better. It raises the level of the program. It raises the depth of the program. It shows the, the compassion and the generosity and how much love these guys had for each other. That sounds so easy. It sounds so good. But in the moment, when you have your ego threatened, you have your spot threatened, you think about how your life will change if this guy takes away from your, start, spart, your starting spot to actually give up that knowledge, give up that wisdom, I think it's, it's a very powerful strategy to take that we can all apply to our own life to just cut out the ego, boost up those around us, and if it's in a position where it's on a depth chart or someone coming for your job or whatnot, then it's on us, it's on you to be better. And it just makes me think about what I need to do to really give it my all and doing more to help all those around me, whether that's guys that I'm training with, whether that's guys that I'm coaching, whether it's my two sons. But am I really giving all I have in terms of being able to provide them with, with the, the stuff that I've learned over the years? That quote just really makes me think of that. All right. Quote number two. We probably won 90% of our games before kickoff just because we scared the hell out of the other team, Bratton said. We had a theory. We'll go into your backyard, turn over your garbage can to your lawn, and we'll just walk out. That was our motto. We didn't give a shit. People could say we are cocky and arrogant, but whatever they say it was, it was working. And I think it was working, and I think he was right, and I think that it's, if you watch videos of Miami and, and their pregame prep, you could tell that the intimidation factor was there. But also, as we're going to go deeper to in a little bit on this show today, uh, Miami's process and their preparation set up that intimidation factor. The way they won, how they won, how they trained, how, much, how they looked out for each other, how much love they had for each other, that's what created the intimidation. For the guys across from them, when they when they went out and met at the fifty on the coin toss, it wasn't just in that moment. It was the opponent's subconscious registering in that moment of who these guys are, 
how they go about their business and what they can potentially do in that moment that really brought that intimidation factor. And I just saw a amazing interview podcast that Joe Rogan did with Teddy Atlas a couple days ago. I'm a huge fan of Teddy Atlas. I'm a huge fan of his book. And I actually want to bring a quote to that right now in connection with this. This is from Teddy Atlas's book. Teddy Atlas, of course, the legendary boxing trainer, trained under Customato, was a goon himself <laughs> before he got into boxing. Um, but his, his book's absolutely fantastic as well. Here he is. I knew I needed to do something. I went after Foreman right on the spot. And this is when he was preparing his, his fighter, Michael Moore, to fight George Foreman. I called him a fraud. Then I grabbed him and pushed him. I challenged him. It was on TV all over the country that night. The two of us scuffling at the stage at the press conference. People thought I was crazy. Out of my mind. Foreman, by contrast, he didn't lose his cool. He knew how to play it. He restrained himself. But I knew what I was going to do too. I was protecting my kid. I didn't want my kid to lose the prelim. It was like being in Rikers. He's talking about county jail in Rikers Island. Once you gave up the sneakers, it was only a matter of time before they took everything. George grasped it all. How you can be the victim or the emperor of things. And fortunately or unfortunately, whatever your perspective is about a tough world, I understand it too. And what Atlas is saying in this is when you're going into a competition, someone always has the upper hand. You are the, either the emperor or you are the victim. And in the case of Miami and the U, they were the emperor. They were the emperor in terms of how they presented themselves, how they trained, how they dressed, how they looked out for one another on the field. They were the emperor with all teams that they played against. And going back to Teddy Atlas and the Rikers Island reference, you know, they were asking for these guys' shoes before the game started. And in most cases, the guys were giving their shoes up. And when when the U when they got that, they knew it was wraps from then on out. And here's a question for you. What do you know for a fact that you do better than your competition? And how can you use this to intimidate your competition? And remember, intimidation is not necessarily about peacocking or yelling or anything of that nature. But intimidation in competition is valuable. As the you will tell you, you are either the emperor of things or you are the victim of things. Miami was able to do this from their camaraderie. Any team that went against the U knew that they probably weren't as close as a unit as the Canes. And they were probably not going to be as fast and aggressive once the game started. And for you listening, figure out this advantage you have against your opponent before your next competition. Then go you style and milk it for all that it is worth. All right, here's another idea from the book. What discipline really is. Quote, discipline isn't saying, don't throw your hands up in the air when you score a touchdown. Michael Irvin told the Miami Herald. Discipline is when it's 110 degrees in the Orange Bowl. No breeze. Fourth quarter. A minute left to play. Fourth and three for the other team. You are dead tired. They come to the line. 
and the opposing quarterback gives you a hard count. Hut! Hut! And you don't jump off sides because you're disciplined mentally and physically. And what Michael Irvin, of course, Hall of Fame receiver and Miami alumni is referencing there, is that you got a lot of flack for what many perceive as their lack of discipline. And Irvin's counter to that is we were disciplined in the important areas and the stuff that counts. And my question is, is what is, what is your definition of self-discipline? Self-discipline for me is doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, as well as it can be done all the time. And I got that from former basketball coach Bob Knight. And to achieve self-discipline consistently, by that definition, it's hard, right? You got to do what needs to be done. You got to stay motivated. You can't procrastinate. One, you got to do what needs to be done. Two, you got to do it in a certain timeline. You got to do it when it needs to be done. And three, probably the hardest part for most people is doing it as well as it can be done all the time. Doing it well. Whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's on the field, whether it's training, whether it's coaching, whether it's walking down the street, doing it as well as it can be done all the time. And self-discipline is something that I've been working on for a long time and just the, the background behind it. And this is something that is we're really trying to turn into the backbone of our program at Castlemont because right now there is very little levels of discipline. And it's so important because discipline makes your life easier. The more discipline you have now, the more discipline, uh, the more freedom you have later in your life. Of course, what Jocko Willink is talking about all the time. And I want to give you a quote here from Roy Baumeister, who wrote a book called Willpower. And this guy's one of the most cited psychologists in the world. And of course, to have self-discipline, we want to have willpower, right? And I want to give you a quote here. He needs the help of bright lines. These are clear, simple, unambiguous rules. You can't help but notice when you cross a bright line. If you promise yourself to drink or smoke, sometimes that's not a bright line. It's a fuzzy boundary with no obvious point at which you go from moderation to excess. Because the transition is so gradual and your mind is so adept at overlooking your own weaknesses, you may fail to notice when you've gone too far. So you can't be sure you're always going to follow the, drink, the rule to drink moderately. In contrast, zero tolerance is a bright line. Total abstinence with no exceptions anytime. It's not practical for all self-control problems. A person who's on a diet cannot stop eating food all the time, but it works well in many situations. Once you're committed to following a bright line rule, your present self can feel confident that your future will observe it too. End quote. So this is a great strategy we can all apply to improve our self-discipline. So... We want to get up at a certain time every day to give ourselves, you know, 
some some solo personal growth time to to read, to meditate, to train, to pray. We don't just do that four days a week, five days a week. We want to do that seven days a week. If we say that we want to lose a certain amount of weight by a certain amount of time and we're going to follow this nutrition plan to do that, then we're not going to follow the nutrition plan four days a week. We're not going to do it five days a week. We're going to do it every day of the week. And what Bob Meister says is by doing this, it, things are easier. It might think that because things are so rigid, it's harder this way. But what Bob Meister says, and this is one of the most cited psychologists in history, much, much smarter than me, so I'm going to listen to him. He says that it's much easier to have bright lines, straight, definitive lines of this is how you do it. So if you want to you know, quit drinking, you don't drink you know, once a month and give yourself a break. According to Bob Meister, what you want to do is say, I'm done with drinking. This has me thinking of a personal example today is what I, one of the things that I'm applying that I've been fighting with this is in terms of my training as an athlete, I'm making a commitment that if I'm not working with my speed coach or if I'm not working with my martial arts training, I'm, either, I'm doing one of those every day that's available. You know, on Sundays, sometimes it's hard for for place that's open or my speed coach he's, he takes that day off but every day one of those two things is open i'm going to be there that's a bright line for me and i'm not going to say oh well whether i feel like it or not it's i'm going to be there this is what i'm committed to so my question to you is what is a bright line for you in terms of what you can do to improve yourself improve your health improve your craft improve your training, improve your teaching, improve your coaching. I would love to hear feedback on that and the bright line that you are putting along with it. It's a cane thing. All right, we're going to go back to this quote here from, from Randy Shannon. It's the thing, even more than sheer talent, that has separated Miami from everyone else, explains UM defensive coordinator Randy Shannon, a former star linebacker for the Canes in the mid-'80s. If it's me, and you play in the same position, and I'm the older guy, and you got talent, I'm going to teach you what I know to try. and be- I'm going to teach you what I know so you can try and beat me out, Shannon said. I want you to take my position. Because if you take it, we'll be a better team. And if not, when I leave, you'll be smart enough to get it done. That's what a cane thing means. No matter what happens, I want the best players on the field. It ain't an ego thing or about I'm this or I'm that. It's a cane thing. It's not about what's best for the individual or I'm this or I'm that, end quote. It's a cane thing. Again, just truly inspiring. And I think this quote is really a representation of why that program was able to elevate to the level of greatness that it was and that it accomplished and that it's not about what's best for the individual. It's about what's best for the group, the team the mission. But by doing what's best for the group, the individual gets what's best for him. The Hurricanes in this kind of 25-year era that we're talking about had twice as many players drafted in the first round compared to any other program. Twice as many. And going back to this quote and this eagle, oh, I can't let this 
this guy come in. I can't, I can't give this guy all the information to make him better because then I'm going to lose my spot. No, it forces you to be better. It makes him better. It deepens your guy's relationship. It deepens your guy's bond. And it raises the whole trend of the whole program. And I think that's absolutely inspiring. And, you know, most people, when they, when they think of the U in this 25-year run they had with, with Michael Irvin and Jimmy Johnson and Ray Lewis and Warren Sapp, when the average, per, average person thinks of the Hurricanes, they think about the trash talk, the end zone dances, the swagger. But this, this is what separated Miami, the amount of compassion they had for one another, the amount of selflessness, the push, the force to get better. If I give everything I have to the, if I'm a cornerback and I got, you know, top 10 cornerback coming in from, from Bell Glades, runs a 4-2, and I give him all my experience and wisdom, the only way I'm able to stay on the field is if I double down and force myself to be better. I just think it's absolutely inspiring. The Hurricanes did not just bust their ass in training for their individual good. They did it to be protectors of something bigger than themselves. This is what gave them superhuman strength, superhuman speed, superhuman will. It was the amount of love and selflessness that they had for one another. My question to you, how are you contributing to make your team better, your family, your community? Next quote, make everything a personal challenge. Quote, as the sun ascends, Vilma and junior outside linebacker DJ Williams battle the raw receiving corpse, turning every pattern into a personal challenge of their manhood. Think showdown at the OK Corral meets Rucker Park. End quote. For the Hurricanes, every rep, every play was a challenge, a competition. The practice sessions of the Hurricanes all had a specific and a never-changing purpose. Progress. Compete, improvement, growth. Every second of every player's hour, the goal was to push beyond the outer limits of one's current abilities. And this makes me think of Anders Ericsson and his notion of deliberate practice, purposeful practice. Anderson Ericsson, who wasn't that far away, uh, studying world class performers, he was a professor at, at Florida State the guy who originated the 10,000-hour rule. And what he talks about is practice does not necessarily lead to improvement, okay? Just because you practice something does not automatically make you better. And there's, there's this very long sliding scale in terms of, you know, if 100 different programs practice this afternoon, there's going to be 100 different levels of how much growth and how much improvement each one of those teams, each one of those programs has. And a key element in determining that is how well you practice, how hard you go each rep, how, how much focus and intensity you put into when the coach speaks. For the Hurricanes, every rep, every play was a challenge, a competition. The practice sessions of the Hurricanes all had a specific never changing purpose. Progress, competition, improvement, growth. Here's another quote from the book. 
they become what I want them to be. This is about Jimmy Johnson. Well, excuse me, that Jimmy Johnson, the former U coach, Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl champion coach. The basic application of the Pygmalion effect is that a strong self-perception will lead to vast self-improvement. Here's Johnson. It goes back to the basic psychology of treating a person as you want him to become, and he will grow to fulfill your expectations. Johnson would tell all his assistants, treat a person as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a person as he could be and should be, and he will become as he could be and should be. It has to do with high expectations and a self-fulfilling prophecy. I treat people as though they've already become what I want them to be. Love this. And the reason head football coach Jimmy Johnson said that, the reason he was a champion coach, Super Bowl winning coach, was what he said separated him and why he was able to accomplish what he did on the side of the, on his, in terms of his craft and his profession as a coach, was his background in psychology. And legendary basketball coach Phil Jackson had background in psychology. Bill Parcells, legendary NFL coach, I don't know how much of his background was in psychology, but if you look at study him enough, that was his ability to to connect with players and and treat them differently and and get them to to go beyond what others thought was capable was all rooted in psychology. You see how important that is. And my question to you is, who do you want to become? Think and act as if you are already that person. Act as if. If your goal is to become a champion in your sport, act as if you already are a champion. Get that image in your head. How would that person be acting right now? How would he train? How would she train? How much discipline does that champion have? Act that way now. And I think these are great, great questions to not only maybe pause and think about, but also write down. This is something that I do consistently, and when I get away from it, um, I, I start to feel the effects without a doubt. Next idea. Pain and pressure have a great way of peeling layers. Quote, what is exposed in his weight room and on his practice field is in a word real. Most kids cloak themselves in bravado, but in Swayze's lab, Coach Swayze was a strength and conditioning coach for, for the University of Miami. He was there for a long time. He was there throughout the dynasty. Most kids cloak themselves in bravado, but in Swayze's lab, true character is revealed. Pain and pressure have a great way of peeling away layers. The armor of your character does not fall too far from you, says Swayze, especially in the weight room. You just can't hide it. And of course, I work as a strength and conditioning coach, so I absolutely love this. And I want to bring in another quote from another top college football strength and conditioning coach. Or this is actually Urban Meyer talking about his strength coach, Coach Mick, who was with him at Florida. Urban Meyer has an amazing book as well. Uh, of course, Meyer has gotten flack this year, but. You know, wisdom is wisdom. And here's Meyer talking about 
about the strength and conditioning program that, that they put in at Ohio State that gave them the opportunity to, to win a national championship, you know, first three years there. My job is to maximize our players' genetic potential, says Coach Mick. We do that by increasing their work capacity beyond their physical limits. Too often, the mind turns the body off. We push you to stay engaged and train your mind to work harder and longer. An important component of Mick's program is the mental stress he puts on players when training. He does this by adding sets and reps just once the players think that they were done and not telling them until right before the workout what the training regimen is for that day and mixing up their training partners among other tactics. It's all part of the mental stress that he induces to create the chaos for the players to work through and overcome. He says chaos, confusion, and conflict. Our players are going to experience that on the field. And it's our responsibility as a staff to train them to deal with it and rise above it. The weight room peels away all the layers. As Coach Swayze at the U said, it leaves you naked. It shows everybody whether you're in shape, and it shows everybody how far you are willing to go to help the team reach its goal, how much short-term pain you can deal with to achieve long-term glory. And I've got a quote here from Muhammad Ali I want to drop in. Of course, most of you are probably familiar with this one. When I'm doing my exercises, I don't start counting until I start painting. And the minute I start painting, I keep pushing under that pain. Then the next day, after I rest, it might take 20 sit-ups instead of 10 to give me a cramp. Later, it might take me 30. But if I tried to do 30 the first day, I'd break my back. That's conditioning. And wise Mr. Ali, of course, is talking about what Coach Swayze is talking about and how you train to increase your work capacity, increase your horsepower which is so vital on the football field and in life. And my question to you is, what challenging situations do you put yourself through to reveal your true character? And we are going to leave that as that for today. That is my final question for you. What challenging situations do you put yourself in to reveal your true character hope you enjoyed this i think the there will never be another run that was the u in college football you know alabama's getting after it now and alabama's probably going to beat it in terms of national championships but in terms of culture and in terms of the way they played and in terms of how much love they had for another each other and the amount of first-round draft picks that they had, I don't think what the U did will ever be repeated. So I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, you can check out Bruce Feldman's book, Kane Mutiny, on Amazon. It's got all that, and it really goes into how the U was able to accomplish what it accomplished. And I will see you at the next episode. I appreciate you, Jack. And if you have made it this far, I want to thank you for listening and the amount of love and selflessness and camaraderie 
that the Miami Hurricane football players have for one another, I'm trying to play a small part in helping the honorable young Casamont football players in Deep East Oakland build that same skill set. And you can help just by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Because the more reviews this podcast gets on iTunes, the more eyes and ears we get to the show, the more eyes and ears we get to the show, the more resources the honorable young football players at Castlemont can have to help advance their careers, achieve their dreams, and leave an impactful, fulfilled life. If you do that, that would be great. If not, no worries. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.